welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Clean Tech Talk is brought to you by Voltus, a leading technology platform connecting distributed energy resources to electricity markets, delivering less expensive, more reliable, and more sustainable electricity. Voltus is on a mission to help solve the climate crisis by unlocking the full value of distributed energy resources, and we want your help getting there. To view our open positions, visit voltus.co slash cleantechnica. That's www.voltus.co forward slash cleantechnica. This is the second part of a two-part interview with Bill McKibben. If you enjoy our Clean Tech Talk podcast series, please remember to give us a like and a good review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. Thank you. So one of these other topics, and you know, Tesla is obviously a very, a very, it's a unique company. I mean, it's, I, I've, I've said several times, I think Elon Musk is more of a social movement than Tesla is a company. He's, he's, he's built this kind of social movement uh, behind him around tech regarding space and EVs and solar. I don't know, you know, I'm not as clear on this one, but some years ago, there was, there was a lot of work to get Fremont factory, the Fremont factory unionized. Mm. And there was these, these stories that came out in the left wing media more, the Guardian elsewhere, mm. that really, really smeared. So it, the one, the one perspective is that it unfairly smeared Tesla and said all kinds of things that were not true about the factory safety and all that, like that they didn't even have yellow tape on the on the floor because Elon didn't like the color yellow which was you know I went I toured the factory they're like there's tape here look (laughs) like what what are they talking about the other perspective is that yeah Elon and Tesla have used the the, you know the time-honored tradition of building billion dollar industries on the backs of working class people and sometimes in a in a not not great way and I think the challenge is that I saw a kind of a split created in the left where there became a kind of very heavily aware and involved political left that started to hate Tesla and Elon Musk. And sort of one thing led to another comments both ways that kind of sort of inflamed the the controversy. And then there's the other side of the, you know, the left is like, this company sells the most EVs globally. It's the only company that has the potential to scale to this level by this date and also focus on solar and batteries. So I guess the question is, if you have any thoughts on that history and how do we get out of that where we're not fighting ourselves in a way that maybe was stimulated by some clever political tacticians who are not on our side at all who knows they're very good questions i've never met musk i did spend a day with his cousin lyndon reeve when he was running solar city and we were up on rooftops in phoenix you know watching people put on solar panels and things And I have a great deal of admiration for the technology and for the effort to produce it. It's hard to get a new idea, a new paradigm out there and make it work. But it is also a complete pain in the ass that the guy is a jerk too a lot of the time. You know, he built Tesla with, among other things, a huge amount of money from the federal government. Uh, the ten billion dollars they gave him at one point was crucial to the, you know, keeping it going, making it work, and he's building its market 
on people who care about the world and care about the people in that world, you know? So it's not okay to pretend that that stuff's unimportant. I mean, this, these should be the companies most eager to unionize, you know, to say, we can do this in ways that make the world better for everyone. And, and truthfully, I mean, at this point, you know, you know, in our world of one of the things we're going to need to survive the climate crisis and to build the world that, you know, that can deal with it is an ethic of solidarity, not the kind of ethic of, you know, Marvel comic universe, hyper individualist, you know, super savior, whatever, which is a shorthand way of saying it's ridiculous that he has makes as much money as he does without paying taxes and, you know, wasted on on space when we desperately need it here on earth and, you know, on and on and on. But one can appreciate all his good sides without having to buy into the whole thing. And, and I, I think that I, truthfully, I think the one punchline of this story is the Chinese are figuring out how to build electric cars faster and cheaper and in bigger quantity and without uh, you know, having outsized cartoon characters at the helm of the whole operation. Yeah, it's a good comment. I mean, I I would first, you know, he's human and he's not perfect. And I think it, there there is a kind of tendency to yeah. to marvelize people's heroes and that kind of thing. There's, you know, a lot of things have, you know, I think been in the wrong direction. But I I do think like like you know we've we've been associated with a lot of Tesla people. One of the most common things mm. I've always heard about people who work with him is that he's extremely funny and loves to have fun and joke, and that mm-hmm. he's uh, mm-hmm. just a top problem solver. He comes in with a problem and he's 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 amazing yeah. at figuring out how to solve the problem. He I mean obviously there are also stories you know he, where he was short with people, but I I really think so one of the things there's been a kind a kind of effort to. Sorry, there's been a kind of effort to get the left fighting with itself, get the the left's own yep. top figures fighting with themselves. And I think there's been a lot of misleading stuff. And then, you know, when you feel you've been mischaracterized or attacked wrongly, you get out there and attack yeah, back yeah. or fight back. And I think that that's just built on itself. I, mean, I would say about a year and a half ago, I sort of lost hope with resolving the situation <laughs> benevolently because I just saw one. It's kind of, you know, you have you have a friend, friends who are like falling out of a relationship with each other and you see one thing builds on top of another and, and it creates a problem. I'm not a libertarian see, in any way. So so I also don't, I'm not a fan of the kind of libertarian ideals of, of yeah, yeah. corporate saviors, but um, but I think there's been a kind of effort that's been very successful to, to get people fighting with, with them, their, their own. I think group. that's fair. I think that's fair. And, you know, the whole Ayn Rand Silicon Valley thing is completely annoying and they all fall victim to it at one point or another. I, here's what I'd say if I were advising Musk, you know, 10 years from now, when your company matures, there's no question but what you're going to, it's going to be unionized by the UAW. That's, you know, what's going to happen. Every other automaker in the world is, runs a union shop. So you might as well figure out, you might as well do it right now and get ahead of this. And that in and of itself would turn down the volume 90% on, on the fighting. Because it's, you know, unions are really important. They embody that idea about solidarity that we're describing. And they're an antidote 
or a dilution of some of that over the top, you know, individual hero, savior, whatever thing. You know, so he's the Henry Ford of his time and place. And eventually Ford decided it was smart to have unions, you know, um, and so should Musk. Yeah, I don't want to stick to it too long, but one final thing on it, Jake, I guess just to um, wrap that up. I, you know, a lot of the the pushback of Tesla fans is, you know, UA, UAW has a, a deep history of a long history of corruption itself. And, and this is kind of power begets corruption. On the flip side, I think one of Biden's top messages and a very important one that is actually not that talked about is that the uh, sort of the, the demise of unions in the United States went alongside our loss of manufacturing jobs and our sort of economic, uh, relative economic decline compared to, to China and elsewhere. And that, that simply if you don't, if workers don't have enough power uh, by, you know, getting together, they get taken advantage of too much to the point that the society gets worse and worse. And so I, I think there's a sort of, a, each side has a narrative that they fall to that is very convincing and has some some merit to it. But yeah, I don't I don't know if you want to comment any more on that that kind of challenge of of those dueling narratives. Yeah, I, I but, just think, uh, I just think the guy makes good technology. We should be grateful for that. I was impressed talking with his cousin. He said, you know, Elon sat us all down in the family ten or fifteen years ago and said, here's how it's going to play out, and you're going to be in charge of solar panels, and we'll do cars over here, and here's how it's all going to fit together. And, and he really did see the future coming. And so credit to that. And I don't think anybody has a problem with him, you know, making a lot of money off of it or, or whatever. But all of, all of this exists within, has to exist within a working society. And we don't, I mean, a, a society where two guys, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, have more wealth than the bottom 50% of the population is just ipso facto of not going to be a working society. So it's yeah. in everybody's interest, including theirs, to just, you know, cut the crap a little bit and grow up yeah. some, you know, yeah, and, it's, and, and it's, you know, and he's a young guy. So, you know, I mean, in, in CEO terms, yeah. so, you yeah, know, I mean, growing I mean, up is probably the right phrase, you know. It's very hard to deal with societal challenges like that and bring them to individualized stories too. I mean, the case of Elon, he's, he's like one of the, he was the richest person in the world last year. At some point, he's one of the richest, <laughs> but yeah. it's all in shares of his companies. Like he doesn't yeah. even, he doesn't take like pay, he doesn't get paid. And then he, he gets loans to live off of based on his shares, which is a privileged system for people with a lot of wealth. It's all and then he lives and it's, and it's, but the whole system is, is broken is obviously the problem that, that these two people can get so wealthy on, what? on shares of a couple of companies when so many people can't afford uh, the next meal. So I, I, I think it's, really, it's just a really challenging situation in that regard. Yep. Like you have to you force him to sell or you force him to, to sell to pay taxes, sell shares of his companies to pay taxes. And just in the broadest terms, sharing is better idea than hoarding, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's it just, you know, it doesn't work to try and do it in the long run the way that he's doing it. If it worked, if, if it's worked for a few years to give him kind of, you know, takeoff velocity, then okay, but we're past that point now and time to be part of a working part of the society because you have to. And I mean, not, I mean the, the energy challenge, the climate challenge isn't like the, uh, you know, the moonshot or something. 
you know, which involved a huge amount of great technological application to put two guys on the moon. Our challenge here is basically we have to move 7 billion people to, you know, not to the moon, but to someplace that works, you know, and that's, that, that requires working societies as well as good technology. Everybody, for, you know, people who are good at technology, forget about the other part. People who are good at social change and social justice sometimes don't think about technology as much as they need to. But, you know, that's a that's the bottom line where we are right now, I think. That, that's a good segue to the next topic. I just, as a closing statement, I would just say my key point is I think we have to be careful to not fight ourselves on the climate action side because I think some people are quite good at seeding controversy within our own sort of left, uh, our climate activist side in a way that delays progress like other things. So everybody's just, good gets, at, in the Twitter age, we're all good at controversy. There's yes, no exactly. question about that. Exactly. So the next thing, and, and I know we're getting uh, deep here, but um, yeah. next question here, uh, just curious if you could talk a little bit about how, how broken, unfortunately, our public understanding of the scientific method is, because I think for a long time, we saw this as a climate specific problem when we looked at people right. not understanding the climate science. In the past year, we've gotten to see that we have yep. a humongous problem with people understanding the scientific method, the basic scientific method, and yep. what it does for us, for us. So I think that's true. And people's understanding of science is probably, but, but if you think about it, it's not really a deep understanding of science that's required, because I'm not sure people were way more scientifically literate in the 50s when everybody lined up happily to get the polio vaccine. They just were more willing to trust their, you know, trust in the sort of social structures of their uh, world. And, you know, I get a front row to see what that old world kind of looks like, because I live in Vermont, which has the highest levels of social trust in the country by all the ways that social scientists measure this. Uh, we're very, you know, it's a state full of villages. You know, there's a, the most rural state in the union. So people are, you know, used to governing themselves through things like town meeting every spring and things. Well, one result of this high level of social trust is that despite the fact that it's a rural state with older people, with a Republican governor, all the things that should have led to big problems with COVID, it's done a better job with it than just about any place in the world. Everybody went and got their vaccines. Everybody wore masks when they were supposed to. And it's, it's, those questions of social trust are really important. And they go back to some of these questions we were talking about with when we were talking about, you know, like multi-zillionaires and things. You have to build societies that work reasonably well for everybody if you want to be able to make progress at all. Otherwise, you end up in these worlds where people are full of rage and resentment and it turns to craziness. And, you know, someone tells them that it's, you know, because, you know, Hillary Clinton eats babies or something. And, you know, before long, you're off to the races. And why does she do that? that? Don't you think that's weird? Yeah, I know. Just, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is tacky. I mean, I mean, but that's the point that I was trying to make before about how things are, are linked together. I really like how you, 
Yeah. I really like how you shifted it from understanding of science, which, yeah, probably we never had a great <laughs> to, a, to a social trust issue. And I mean, that links to what we've talked about with unions, with people losing trust in that institution in a way that probably was seeded by people who didn't want unions to be around. People losing trust in government overall with, you know, we go back decades to Reagan. Reagan had a famous phrase like about the government. I forget what is the phrase. He always I'm, said, "I'm his, with the government his, and I'm here to help" or yeah, something he, like that. That's right. His, his his famous laugh line was always, "The nine scariest words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help.'" You know, ha ha ha. I mean, it turns out that the scariest words are uh, "We ran out of ventilators" or <laughs> "The hillside behind your house just caught on fire." You know, and, and those are things you can't do. You can't address by yourself. You know that's yeah. why and you need working governments and working societies, and that's precisely the thing that I mean. Forget Elon Musk. I mean, the really dangerous billionaires in our society are people like the Koch brothers, who just have spent their entire lives working to make sure that we don't have working societies, working governments, and and have undermined that so deeply that it's very difficult now to make the progress we need when we're faced with an existential crisis. Yeah, and we've seen that kind of attack on institutions and these social trust entities in on both sides, but you know, I, more so the right, obviously the libertarian side, the Ayn Rand side, the John Birch Society, you know, uh, going, you know, going way back. And I mean, even look at the the crypto, um, I don't, don't want to, you know, trigger <laughs> cryptocurrency fans, but the cryptocurrency craze, I mean, it's basically we're saying, let's drop social trusts and trust in governments, which right. are social trusts, and go to a much more energy intensive system because we don't trust each other. And right. I think yeah, we, I we, think that's really and I mean, yeah, government's not perfect. Nothing, you know, our unions are not perfect, but they're better than a free for all, don't trust anyone society where we yep. don't put trust in each other. So I, no, I think that these all link together. I, I, go ahead. Cryptocurrency is actually a beautiful demonstration of that because it's precisely, I mean, the logic behind it, the stated logic behind it is precisely what you said. We don't want to have to trust anyone. So, you know, we trust this strange, you know, uh, algorithm or blockchain that, that almost no one can actually explain to anyone. I mean, if you think vaccines are difficult to get people to understand, try to, you know, explain the mechanism of the you know how a bitcoin is you know breathed into life to somebody but yeah i mean and 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 it shouldn't surprise us in that kind of world that it's you know main users are you know people who want who are who are doing ransomware i mean you know that's the that seems to be the killer app for bitcoin you know at this point i mean all of these have, things are about breakdowns you know I have, and i have to I have to give credit to Conan Boss and Max Ho Max Holland, two of our writers who who've delved into this much more and explained it in those simple terms to me. I mean, in deeper terms, but also simpler terms. That explanation of it's basically you know energy intensive instead of social trust. And yes. I would just just want to highlight before you move on, keep going, which I want you to yeah. do, is that it is it's not a comparable system to like ATMs and banks and whatnot. This is specifically a highly, extremely energy intensive system. And even if it's using renewables, you're taking renewable energy potential away from other yeah. uses. And every single yeah. plan that tells us how we deal with the climate crisis says you need a huge growth in renewables, electric vehicles, yep. and a huge cut in energy use. 
And that yep. goes the opposite way with energies. And you saw Tesla adopted it, saw humongous spikes in energy use and coal use. I don't know where they found that data, but they, they did and said, okay, we're, we're not doing this anymore because we saw the results. And I wish, you know, they hadn't gotten into it in the first place. I, but yeah, anyway, let's get back to what you were going with. I yeah. just want to give credit to, no, to I, people for explaining yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad there are people who can explain it. It's such a, to me, it strikes me as such a, you know, sort of, I'll just, I'll just say your remark about Reagan before and that whole, the government is the problem thing. It, that's the most important thing that happened in our political lives, in my political lifetime. The rise of this uh, libertarian notion that we should all just look out for ourselves turns out to be the most dangerous of ideas. And, and it's, you know, incarnated in things like Bitcoin that are just quite clearly about not wanting to trust the, the anybody else. And the fact that you have to <laughs> burn huge amount of energy in order to make it happen is just sort of the, the, the cherry on the top, you know, but it is unbelievably aggravating to think of people trying to desperately win this race to get more low carbon energy out there and having it, uh, having by now non-trivial amounts, one, two percent or something of the planet's energy, you know, the equivalent of Scandinavian country worth of energy being used to, for no good reason. It is, I get annoyed at, you know, the, all the billionaires deciding to blast themselves into space for, you know, three minutes of weightlessness. But uh, in energy terms, these guys are using a hell of a lot more, you know, mining Bitcoin. Well, let's just, I mean, close a little bit more with that that core topic, which I, I fully agree that the kind of antitrust, more libertarian, anti-government, anti-institution movement from the past, I mean, especially from the Reagan era, I mean, it goes back deeper, but onward. Yeah. How much that is the actual core problem that we face is that we're not yep. willing to trust our own devised organizations and institutions. Yep. It's And it's, it's such an interesting thing for Silicon Valley to think about, because it didn't start there. It started, and it's quite easy to trace. I mean, I, I, I did some of this work in my last book, a book called Falter, to trace it back, you know, to the 70s and early 80s and the rise of the Reagan administration. And, you know, the Koch brothers are the perfect example. David Koch ran for president, vice president on the Libertarian Party ticket in 1980, just a pure Ayn Rand, you know, fantasy version of the world. And the Libertarian Party didn't do well. So the Koch brothers decided they'd be far better off spending their money buying the Republican Party, you know, which they basically did. And, and that's why, you know, the Republican Party has become so intransigent around issues about regulation of the environment and so on. Well, the Silicon Valley guys are different in every cultural way from the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers are down in, you know, Palm Springs with the other, you know, billionaires from the carbon cartel, you know, sipping uh, martinis and doing whatever old people do who have billions of dollars. And, you know, the young tech billionaires in Silicon Valley are out, you know, hydro surfing on there, you know, and whatever it is that, you know. but the one place that they overlap is in this devotion to the idea that everything would be better if government would just get out of their way. 
And everything isn't better when government gets out of the way. Yes, government is annoying. Other people are annoying some of the time. You know, that's here's here's a way to think about it that I try to think about it sometimes when you think about this basic question of whether you want other people around and being part of your or whether you want to, you know, go off in a space capsule. Most people will tell you that college was maybe the best years of their lives. That's what all the old alums who come back to the college where I teach are always going on about. It's not because, you know, they loved sociology 101 so much. It's because it was the only four years in an American life where you actually live the way that most people have lived for most of human history in close physical and emotional proximity to a lot of other people. And that's annoying. Sometimes the guy down the hall has the stereo on too loud at two in the morning, but it's also deeply gratifying. There's always people around to bounce ideas off of, do things with, you have a community, you know, and, and so our task now is to take some of the technological things that, that we've been gifted with by great engineers and whatever, and use them to build working communities that work for all people in them. And that shouldn't be an impossible task. And, and it should be one that everybody at some point, maybe as they get a little older, begins to realize that they should want to take part in. So, you know, one hopes very much that that's where, and, and it's interesting too. I don't know what this means, but as we watch all these zillionaires end up now getting divorced, their wives are taking uh, half the money and using it to do brilliant, interesting things with, to build just the kind of communities that we need. I don't know what message that sends, but, but something, you know, and, and so, you know, let's all grow up and get on with the business of building the world that we all want to see. Oh, that was tremendous, beautiful insight. I, I would expect from, from you, Bill. Uh, so, so the final thing, I really love that. And we're going to highlight that, but the final thing, I guess, can you give a few words of wisdom to everyone listening, anyone, uh, whether they're more on the, on the, the, anyway, any, anyone listening, how we build trust in each other more and, and in our own lives and, and, and beyond and how we rebuild societal trust in institutions, whether that's government unions, any, you know, things that are imperfect, we, and, I, and I think maybe part of the problem is we're a little too purist sometimes, um, mm. but uh, are critical to, you know, not being a, an, you know, a fighting against ourselves. It's a super good question, because once you stop doing something, once you get out of practice, there's, these are skills that are hard to, we're just not good at being neighbors now. Neighbors have been, for Americans, have been optional for the last 50 years. And it turns out that three quarters of Americans don't even really know their next door neighbor. Like, don't, which is a very weird situation for human beings to be in. I mean, we're socially evolved primates, you know. No wonder we feel a little upset or the world. So, so learning those skills again takes some work. And I, I, I don't know exactly how on a societal level. I have some ideas. I think that a smaller scale generally helps. And to the degree that we can localize a lot of things, economies and governments and things we're, we're, that, that'll help. But just in our own lives, one should be aware of, uh, conscious of what's going on. I read a fascinating study a couple of years ago 
Sociologists followed shoppers first around a supermarket. And you know that drill, you walk in, you, you know, visit the stations of the cross around the perimeter of the supermarket. Maybe on the way out, the, you have a conversation with the cashier about, you know, paper bags or plastic or something. But that's about it. When they followed shoppers around a farmer's market, they found that they were having 10 times more conversations per visit, not 10% more, 10 times more. And it, it was a reminder to me that, that there are moments and situations in which the relentless pursuit of efficiency is not what we want. If you're trying to build electrical engineering systems, efficiency is a very, very good thing. If you're trying to build social systems, then the things that we most need out of them aren't always served by efficiency. And it's why people like going to the farmer's market, say. So we've, we've moved from you know the deep need for a full overhaul of our energy system to farmer's markets in the course of an hour. I'm not sure whether we're making progress or not, but, but that's how it seems to me. We're going to have to figure out and we're going to have to use this necessary transition that physics demands to a clean energy system. If we're smart, we'll use it to leverage some changes in the ways that we do business as a society. Some of them are going to come a little bit naturally. The fact that solar power and wind power produce no carbon is their most basic and important charm. But the fact that the sun and the wind are ubiquitous and omnipresent is useful too, because it means that power no longer will adhere quite as closely to people who happen to live on top of or control the small deposits of fossil fuel that dot the surface of the earth. That's why the Koch brothers are able to own a political party. You know, That's why we pay attention to the king of Saudi Arabia. Not because he has a smart idea about the world, he beheads people, you know, but because he's got a lot of oil. Well, you know, one of the more democratizing things we can do on the planet is be able to take care of this, one of our two or three most basic needs on the planet, energy closer to home. So hopefully, you know, we'll take advantage of this. And the, the, the person really to read and think about this who's done the best job of explaining it, I think, is Naomi Klein in her classic book, This Changes Everything. Uh, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see where we're going. And as I say, it's been a tough year and a tough summer, and we're also in a better place than we were a year ago. So hold to that. Thank you so much. We had very high expectations for you, Bill, and you really wowed, wowed in several you, Olympic gold medal in several uh, contexts <laughs> and stories and metaphor. I really uh, impressive stuff. You're a talented, uh, brilliant person. So thank you for being part of our pleasure podcast to talk, today. A pleasure to talk and stay safe down there in the sunshine space. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.